to the ExtraordinaryChurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. His name was Dr. Thomas Kuhn and the year was 1962. He was a renowned physicist and philosopher who authored a work titled The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. His interest was science and the revolution of it. In this book, he introduces the term that I have mentioned here as our title this evening, a paradigm shift. Though common to us, it was not so common in 1962. It was a new term for this intellectual community. Used to describe this new information that changes drastically how we see all other information around us. The term was given to inform a new revolution in science, but its results reached far beyond the scientific community. When that scientific discovery led to the revelation that each person had a unique genetic code, it began to break down barriers and old information was now surveyed under a new light. Court cases are retried and evidence is revisited because a paradigm shift had happened. It's not only new information, but new behaviors and new practices. And in the end, it really produces a life-altering outcome. All because of this thing called a paradigm shift. Here's what you got to understand tonight is that a paradigm shift is powerful. The information has not changed. You're still dealing with the same circumstance. You're still studying the same facts. But what differs is the paradigm by which you survey the information that may be the same. So while you might look at the same thing Because of a paradigm shift, you look at it under a new light with a new perspective, thereby has the possibility to produce an entirely different outcome. I've come tonight to talk to you about a paradigm shift. Not a paradigm shift of of any natural thing. We're not going to talk about science too much. We're not going to talk about court cases and crime. These simply serve as the backdrop to give us the most certain evidence that a paradigm shift is a very real phenomenon. To direct your attention to Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 26 through 28. The Bible says, as they were eating, that Jesus takes bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We got to understand this tonight that the text culturally is a time called Passover, a time of great celebration, an occasion marked with abounding joy. For you must understand tonight that the children of Israel would gather together at this sacred time to commemorate their liberation from Egyptian captivity. They are so grateful for the freedom. They are grateful for the deliverance that their ancestors experienced. And they have decided... I will not forget this. I will live with an attitude of thanksgiving for the reality of our salvation. 
When they left as captors, they left in such a hurry on that night of the Passover that the bread did not have time to rise. And so in memory of that occasion, on the night of their deliverance, to this day they continue to celebrate that by eating unleavened bread. And so it's at this time, at this annual celebration, at this night of the Passover, our text takes us to. Jesus gathers those who are so close to Him to celebrate what they have celebrated so many times before. We would come later to know what we affectionately call this, the Last Supper. But here's what you've got to understand. This was not an unusual thing. This is an annual feast. There's nothing new about what's happening right now. They've sat at this table before. They've broken bread like this before. They've drank from the cup like this before. They have called to memory the deliverance of their ancestors before. All of the characters of this text have done this very same thing many times before. Yet this time stands out from time, unique from every other occasion. Why, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Of the bread, Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body. And of the cup, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The moment came unaware and almost completely unexpected. They, they could not have anticipated the instruction accompanied with such divine revelation. Take and eat are terms most certainly familiar to their ear on an occasion such as this. Drink, yes, they are familiar with this. But never has a man engaged in this act in likening the bread to his body or the cup to his blood. This time, the instruction of their Lord comes with a revelation no man has ever heard before. For to them... The Passover is nothing more than a celebration of their deliverance from Egypt. This marks their freedom from the hand of Pharaoh. They call to memory the sacrifice of that lamb on the night of the Passover. And they call to memory the blood that was applied upon the doorpost. This is what the Passover is. It has always been this until this moment. Passover had always been what had happened. But now Jesus gives them insight into what is about to happen. Until now, Passover had always directed their eyes into the past. But Jesus says, let me give you a little spiritual insight so you're not only looking where you've come from, but you're about to see what is going to happen. This talk of Jesus' body is a new idea that challenges all the information and all the experience that has formed the paradigm that they have lived in for thousands of years. The truth is, this is all they have ever known. And now with just a few words... Jesus introduces a revelation that challenges the reality they have known and shows them that that was but a shadow of a much greater deliverance that I am about to bring. 
what we are observing in this text is nothing more than a paradigm shift. The disciples in this moment are literally caught between what is old, what is familiar, and what is known. And this new, hard to comprehend, but most certain truth that Jesus has come to introduce them to. Because until now, the Passover always made them look back. But in this moment, Jesus says, the bread is my body and the cup is my blood. A body not yet broken, blood not yet shed. He's telling them of what is to come. Hear me tonight. It is a paradigm shift when the Passover no longer only looks back but looks forward. And the result of what we read in these few verses introduces us to something that will cause these students of Scripture, these disciples of Christ, to begin to revisit ideas that were settled like concrete in their heads. Outcomes that they had already determined. Truths they had accepted. Realities that could not be altered. Now must be reconsidered under the light of a new revelation. That the Passover is truly not complete. Until my body is broken and my blood is shed. Because my hand is for more than the Jew. And my arm will reach beyond the borders of this nation. Don't just look back. I'm trying to open your eyes to look forward so you can see what I'm about to do. I've come tonight to preach to Extraordinary Church. Something you might already know. Something we've said in this sanctuary, in this service already tonight. But I come to try to bring a little bit of clarity for you tonight. To help you understand that you, this church, is in the middle of a paradigm shift. You're in the middle of a paradigm shift. God is trying to open the eyes of your understanding and introduce you to the spirit of revelation so you begin to see differently than you've seen until now. So you begin to see with new understanding and new insight and you begin to live with new passion and you begin to live with new... This comes because of a paradigm shift. And so how, how does this happen? story we are familiar with in Matthew chapter 14 an entire experience ordained of God the Bible says that Jesus constrained meaning he insisted or he literally made his disciples go down and get in the ship on the water's edge well he ascends to the mountain to pray now I don't know this for a fact but I can't help but wonder, as they set sail that night, was Jesus up there calling a storm to be? Knowing where those disciples were heading. Here's what you have to understand. Peter is a fisherman. The environment that he is in tonight is familiar to him. 
He is not simply relying on his experience alone, but this is a family business to this man for generations. His father, his grandfather likely, maybe his great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather have done this. The lessons ingrained in the understanding of this young man have flown down through generation to generation. He inherits the wisdom beyond his years. He is a most skilled fisherman. There is nothing foreign to this man setting sail in the early hours of the day somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. There is nothing foreign to Peter being in a little fishing vessel. There's nothing foreign to this man being rocked by the waves. There's nothing foreign to the wind blowing. These are all things he has been in before. And though we might like to make the storm bigger than it is, hear me tonight, the boat, though it was small, was a place of comfort to this man because it was familiar terrain. But the Bible says in this place of familiarity that the wind becomes contrary and the waves begin to rock that boat. Maybe the water crested the top of that ship. I don't know, but but somewhere in the storm, something transpires. And though we might like to point our finger at the storm and say that is the source of his fear. Hear me now. There is no mention of fear in this text until he sees a figure walking on the water. He's not afraid of the storm. He's weathered a few storms before. He's been fishing since he was a boy. He's well accustomed to the water. This is familiar terrain. He's not afraid of a little storm. But what does startle him in that early hour is when he looks out over the edge of that boat and he sees a figure walking on the water. He is confident in what is common to him. But he's about to discover God. He's about to stretch my understanding and break the paradigm of faith I have lived in. And when he sees this figure walking on the water, the Bible says he becomes fearful, believing it to be a spirit. He's not disturbed by natural things. It's his concern That this is a spirit he is unfamiliar with. The wind is not new. He has felt the wind before. The waves are not new. He has weathered a storm before. But he finds himself entering in to a spiritual paradigm he has never been in before. He perceives this is some kind of spiritual manifestation that I can't understand. I, I can't make sense of. And he is afraid boat is small and as unsafe as it might have felt to you and I he's not troubled by that he's weathered this storm before his fear is borne by what is unfamiliar to him he sees that figure on the water and this feeling of control is stripped from his hands and all that is common is taken away from him as God introduces him into what is uncommon and into what he can't control in order to bring a paradigm shift. Matthew 14 and 27, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter, you don't have to be afraid. 
It is I. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come under the water. And Jesus said, come. If it's really you, in a roundabout way, here is what Peter's saying. I've been fishing since I was a boy. And I know if I drop something as light as a net off the side of this ship, the net is going down. I've been throwing rocks in the water since I was just a little boy on this boat with my daddy. And this is the paradigm that I'm most certain of. That these things don't float. I remember that time when I was just 12 years old and daddy said, don't you drop the oar, Peter. I dropped the oar. I remember when daddy passed me that and he said, Peter, don't you drop that or or I'm going to make you go in after it. And I learned the hard way. Things don't float. Daddy threw me in, clothes and all, and I had to swim to the bottom and fetch that. Thank God they didn't have iPhones back then. What he's telling Jesus is this. I see you exercising a dominion that I know I don't have. So if it's really you, let me share in the dominion you have. You're walking on the waves. You're unmoved by the wind. If that's really you, then let me have a little exercise like that. And Jesus says, all right, you asked, come. And Peter was come down out of the ship, walked on the water to go to Jesus. Notice the Bible says he came down from the ship. Because any word that you submit yourself to also has the ability to carry you. I've heard preachers say this. Peter wasn't really walking on the water. He he was walking on that word that God gave him. There might be a little truth to that. But the only reason he could walk on the word was because he first submitted to the word. And when Jesus said, come, he said, all right. Despite what logic tells me, despite what understanding might tell me, despite what thousands of years of history would say, I'll try. And he discovered and did what no human being has ever done. He started walking on water. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? I mean, I think for at least just a second, he would have stopped up and kind of looked around. Looked back at the boat. Hey, John. But you know what the Bible doesn't say? He walked on the water to get his picture in the New York Times. He didn't do it and call CTV. He did it to get to Jesus. And it is amazing what God will allow you and empower you to do if your goal is just to get to Jesus. (laughs) 
You want to get to me? All right. I'll do whatever I got to do to get you to me if you really want to get to me. If I've got to give you supernatural power to walk on water, how do y'all do it? If I've got to take cancer away, if I've got to take depression away, if I've got to take anxiety, I'll do whatever I've got to do to get you to me if that's really what you want. Come, Peter, I'm inviting you to share in the dominion I have over the storm you're surrounded by. That invitation calls him from the ship to the water surface. It moves him out of the realm of familiarity into the realm of faith. It takes him from the safety of that vessel to the supernatural he must trust in. I know Peter's past paradigm tells him that this is impossible but he's about to get a revelation he's about to be exposed to some new information when Jesus says come it's an invitation to discover God in a way God has not been discovered by any other Peter come come on Peter you're the one who's quick to talk you talked yourself into it now don't talk yourself out of it come on Peter and one might ask God could make this man walk on the water in any kind of climate, at any time of day. Why in the middle of a storm? God, if you're really good all the time, why in the middle of a storm? If you could teach it just as good under the hot sun at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the calm waters of the Galilee, why do you have to do it in the darkness of the early morning when the winds are high and the waves are contrary? Why? Because God understands that until you accept the invitation to involve yourself with your impossibilities, you cannot discover His possibilities. And so God says, every now and then, I've got to send a storm into your life. Because it's in the storm that you discover the value of the Savior. Every now and then, I have to let a little trouble, a little turmoil, a little adversity, a little sickness, a little poverty, a little struggle. Every now and then, I've got to let a storm show up. Because it's in the storm that you discover the strength of God. You would not know God's strength if you had not walked through a storm. You would not have discovered the goodness of God if you not have walked through a little bit of darkness. Hey, the psalmist said it like this. Though I walk through. Quit calling your real estate agent when you're in the middle of the valley. Why are you trying to buy land where God said I'm just taking you through? He didn't say you're going to live there. But every now and then, he is going to take you through there. Because it's in the valley you find the value of the shepherd. It's in the valley when you can't find your way and the water hole can't be found. That the familiar voice of the shepherd says, come, come. And the certain sound of God's voice leads you to a resource that you could not find on your own takes you to strength that you could not get on your own somebody hear me tonight I know I know you ask God God why I don't understand 
Why is this adversity coming against my family? Why, God, am I living in such struggle? Yeah, I feel your presence so real. You're so good in the middle of worship. But God, when I walk out those doors and I put my head on my pillow at night, I feel like I live in hell. Somebody hear me tonight. I've come to open your eyes and show you something. God doesn't intend for you to live there, but you will live there as long as you live in the lie. Because the truth is, God doesn't plan on you staying there. But if you're ever going to get out, you have to learn this. The reason the storm showed up in the first place was because God wanted to introduce you to his strength that you had not yet known. Oh, Peter, come on. Let's go. And it's Peter's willingness to accept God's invitation to involve himself with what he knows is impossible. That allows God to say, all right, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's a paradigm shift, Peter. I know they told you it can't be done. But I'm inviting you. Come and see for yourself. Oh, I know they said you can't be healed. But I'm saying come and see for yourself. I know what they said about your family. Somebody hear me right now. I don't know who told you it can't happen. I don't know who told you you can't be healed. I don't know who told you your family can't be mended. I don't know who told you you can't have peace or you can't have joy. You can't be blessed. I don't know who lied to you, but tonight I've come to rebuke that lie. There is a word in this house to shift your paradigm. And what you have to do is you have to choose to submit to the Word. And when you submit to the Word, you'll find that the Word is sufficient to carry you in the storm. Come on, Peter. All right, I'll come. But in the middle of the miracle, the Bible said, when he saw the wind, he began to sing. couple little things that are unique to me there in that text one is that you can't see wind you can see the effect of wind but you can't see wind somewhere he took his eyes off Jesus and he begins to see his storm as equal to his savior and his feet slipped from the word that had carried him because he came out from the covering of that word that he had submitted to. And submitted himself to the storm. Let me tell you something. It's not my notes. But let me just tell you something. Jesus sees that Roman centurion. That centurion sends his servant out and tells the Lord on the way to his house. Oh, you don't even have to come. If you just speak the word. Because I, being a man of authority, I know how this works. If I say to one, go, he goes. And if I say to one, come, he comes. And Jesus responds to this Roman centurion. He's not even a Jew. And Jesus says, I've not seen such great faith in all the house of Israel. 
That tells me that the greatness of somebody's faith has nothing to do with what they feel. You don't have to have goosebumps. The song doesn't need to be right. But the greatness of faith is directly connected to our understanding of the operation of God's word. And this is what the centurion is saying. I don't need you to come. I don't need you to lay hands. I don't need you to do any hocus pocus or spooky stuff. I I don't need it to be some mystical, metaphorical transfiguration. All I need you to do is speak the word. And I will submit myself to that word. And I will put my child and my servants and their sickness. and I'll put it under that word. And when I submit it to that word. See the problem is. We are, he's already said it tonight. We are accustomed to submitting ourselves to our difficulties. And our diseases. And our distractions. And not our divine destiny. My sickness, my debt, my dilemma, my depression. My, we, sub, we take ownership. We, we submit ourselves to it. Cover ourselves by it. If you would exercise that same faith in the truth of God's word, my friend, anything could happen. There is nothing God could not do right now if you would just submit yourself to the word of God. In a moment, took his eyes off Jesus and felt like the storm was greater than the Savior. I know we didn't say it, but it would be the equal. Saying, thank you, Lord, for that word. Thank you, God, for that miracle. But I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to submit to the storm. And as quickly... As his faith had shifted, his feet began to sink. Until he cries out for help. And as you know as well as I do, God is so merciful. Here's what I've really come to tell you tonight. The paradigm shift began when Jesus insisted they go in the boat. And more times than not, Paradigm shifts begin before you're even aware. Usually by the time we find out, we're in the middle of it. And now Peter has this most important decision. Do I agree with God in the middle of this shift? Or do I sink? No, I don't know this for a fact, but I think his friends were good, loving people. And if he was not to cry out to God for rescue in this moment, then surely his friends would have thrown out the life preserver and saved his life and he would not have died in the storm, I hope. But the greater tragedy than that would be that his faith would remain trapped by the paradigm of impossibility that it had lived in his whole life. It's like God is saying, Peter, you can't get out here and keep acting like you're back there. 
Because when you're in the boat, you're in the boat because you know if you get on the water, you're going to sink. But I brought you this far, Peter, and you haven't sunk yet. So stop thinking like you're still back there. I hope you know where Extraordinary Church is. I hope you know where your family is. I hope you can sense where God has brought us to. Let's not think like we're still in the boat. That's what happened. In a moment of time, Peter allowed his transition his mind to transition back to those old thoughts, those old patterns, those old habits. He moved back into the real estate of impossibility. And God said, I can't let you walk out here if you think like that. If you're going to come out here into unfamiliar territory, Peter, you're going to have to forsake some things that are familiar to you. Some old thought patterns, some old things you used to believe, some, some old ways you used to live, some lies that you submitted to. You've got to leave that on the boat, Peter. I'm trying to introduce you to something new, something great, something sovereign, something supernatural. And Peter, if you're going to keep on walking, you can't think like you're still in the boat. But see, God is so merciful. And though he stumbles and his feet begin to go below the water surface, God, God is so merciful rescues him but I can't help but wonder how would the story have ended if his faith would not have faltered what would have been the outcome that night where would God have taken him if he would have adapted his thinking to where he was going and not where he had come from come to tell somebody that you need to be very careful that you do not hold the opportunity before you hostage to your past experience. You can't walk out here and keep thinking like you're back there. Or you will miss what you were in the middle of. Come on, would you lift up your hands right now? Come on, lift up your voice. God is here tonight. Come on, the spirit of revelation is here right now. Yes, Lord. Our keyboard can come. Just the keys will be wonderful. In the name of Jesus. Until that night of the Passover, that momentous meal had always been defined by the past. It had been defined by what had happened, by what they already knew. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you just a few words. But contained in these few sentences is enough divine revelation about the future, my plans, my purpose. My body will be broken. My blood will be shed for the remission of sins for many. And in a moment with two sentences, he shifts their understanding of one of the momentous moments in all of history to stop focusing on the past and to look towards the future. And I've come tonight to tell 
some people in this room to speak a word into this church. You were in the middle of a paradigm shift. And you must allow the Lord to give you a revelation that would shift how you see. So you're not constantly looking back. But that your eyes are fixed on the future. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. There's a word in this house tonight. To shift your paradigm. You have a future. Job 8 and 7, though your beginning was small, hear it now. Yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Abram, put destiny on you since you were in your mother's womb. And I've waited for this moment. You could read it in Genesis 12. God comes to this man who is so ordinary. Working a common job among common people. God says, Abram, I need you to pack your stuff and go. I need you to leave your family, the land that is familiar. I need you to leave the security of resource and family inheritance behind. And I need you to start walking. Where, God? I'll show you. Just start walking. Come on, Abraham. I'm taking you on a journey. And if you'll do this, I will bless you. I will bless those that bless you. I'll curse them that curse you. You'll be the father of Every family of the earth is going to be blessed through you, Abraham. But as the journey goes on, he proved the principle that every child of destiny will live. As he finds himself caught in the conflict of past experience and future promise. For God has said, I'll be the father of many nations, but the truth is I can't father So what he has worked for and what he has experienced is that conflict with what God has declared. Until Genesis 17. God says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, which means exalted father. But thy name shall be Abraham. Meaning a father of multitude or many nations. And now God prophesies over this man. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I will make nations of thee. And kings shall come out of thee. 
He has tried his whole life to do this his own way. But no child could be born. In fact, you likely know the story. They endeavored to take measure into their own hands and through a handmaid, a child named Ishmael was born. But destiny is not on Ishmael. Ishmael wars with destiny. Be careful what you produce with your own thinking. If God's trying to take you out of the boat and you keep thinking like you're in the boat, you will produce things that war against the destiny God has on you. He had failed, but he'd also been faithful. And God comes to renew his covenant in Genesis 17 and says, Abram, you're no longer just Abram. You're Abraham. And Sarai, you're no longer just Sarai. You're Sarah. The only woman in all of Scripture to have their name changed by God. I know you don't see it, but I'm calling out of you what's hidden inside. I'm prophesying over your life what I'm about to do through you. You know, when God comes to the prophet Samuel, tells him to go to the house of Jesse, what he said? He said, go there, for I have provided myself. God doesn't lack. You're, you Sam, you're not going to find something. You're not going, you're not going to make something. You, you, you. I've already provided it. I just need you to go get it for me. Abraham, you don't need to make this yourself. I've already provided it in the prophecy. And so now, I just have to change your identity to come into alignment with your prophecy. It's not just a name change, Abram. It's bringing your identity into alignment with your prophecy because I'm going to let you walk in a new paradigm. God shows us the formula how he deals with the stigma of our past is by declaring our future. Oh, I know you've tried to do it on your own, Abram. It didn't work. I know you took matters into your own hands and it was not possible. So one more time, I'm just going to come and declare over you that you are a father of many nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations from your womb and kings from your lineage and that prophecy was all he needed for his paradigm to be shifted I don't 
I'm not, I don't want to get graphic or funny, but as I was studying this afternoon, this thought came to me, and I'd never thought of reading this text before. But do you think maybe after years and years of trying and discovering that the womb was barren, maybe the intimacy of that relationship suffered? Because a sense of inadequacy or shame or shortcoming filled that marriage and blanketed that home. I don't know, but I can't help but wonder. Because I've talked to a few people, a few ladies of wombs weren't fertile. I've watched the weight it puts on their mind, the heaviness of their spirit, the burden on their marriage. I don't know, but maybe, maybe that inability was a wedge in that relationship. as awkward and as funny as this might sound, the truth was when God came back and gave him a word he had to go make sure the candle was lit there was intimacy in his home because except for Mary, there's only one day babies come what happens sometimes is the struggle puts a sense of shame on you where you feel there's something wrong with you where you're inadequate and you feel like God can't produce what he said he would produce in my life or through me and so you start to withdraw your intimacy because you allow the enemy to lie to you and say it can't be done and despite God trying to bring you out of the boat, you're still thinking like you're in the boat. Because the doctor said it can't happen. The banker said it can't happen. The counselor said it can't happen. I mean, the news said it can't happen. Just uh, I, I don't know what y'all think about this, but I'm so sick of media, of news. Tell what happened when I started to travel the world a little bit and see other cultures. I come back to North America. And there's... A lot of people here who I think have immigrated or probably have parents that have immigrated from other countries. You may know this better than I do. But I begin to interact with other cultures and be in other nations and meet other people and I come back to North America and I discovered this groundbreaking revelation. God is not North American. That the way North America would like to project their perception about other nations and other cultures I'll tell you what it is. It's a spirit of fear. And we have so many Christian people that are under the influence of the spirit of fear that they will not pray for people of certain ethnic groups or from certain countries or certain languages because what the media projects about them. See, they've submitted themselves to the media and not to the Word of God. Somewhere we allow. Oh, that's where I was going with that. I was on the, on a plane yesterday. I'm not against taking caution. I'm talking like three quarters of that plane had masks and gloves and 
we all ought to wash our hands and let's, let's take safeguards. But there's so much fear in our media about what this is going to do. This ain't the first sickness to come. It ain't even the biggest. But you get on the media and you will very quickly become so manipulated by fear. I watched people on that plane. I thought, my goodness, so much fear. See what happens when God gives you a promise, but you live through a season where the promise doesn't come to pass. The Bible says, in patience, possess ye your souls. If you want prophecy on your life, you better learn how to walk in patience. Because what happens is when it doesn't happen the way you want it to or as quick as you want it to, the devil begins to manipulate your thought process and you begin to feel like there's something wrong with you and you live under shame and you live under condemnation and you withdraw your intimacy from God and intimacy is the only place things can be born in the spirit look I'm not, I'm not trying to be raw or out there but I do know what I feel in the Holy Ghost so. let me just tell you you put a table on the McDonald's table you get a couple Big Macs that ain't going to do it there's got to be an intimacy. And when the enemy manipulates you, manipulates you enough to withdraw that intimacy from God, God cannot produce things in you. And so when God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17 and renews his covenant, he has a decision. Okay, if I submit myself to this prophecy, you're all going to think I'm crazy because it's just kind of raw. But if I submit myself to this prophecy, I got to go home and I got to rekindle the flame as if God said he's going to do it. I'm telling somebody not in the Holy Ghost. I don't care what you walk through. I don't care what you feel. I don't, I don't care what the enemy has said to you. I don't know who told you it couldn't happen. I don't know what lie you believe. But I'm telling you tonight, if you will rekindle your intimacy with God, if you'll give God something a little more than a Big Mac, on don't you go give God those superstore flowers come on you go to the florist I mean it's it's like it's like your 25th anniversary I mean you got to go all out I'm having a little fun right now but I, I'm serious in the Holy Ghost some of you your womb is not barren but because you believe the lie that it was you have withheld intimacy from God and God cannot produce in you but if you would draw close to God again and you would become vulnerable to Him, you would open up your heart to Him and you would surrender to Him, if you would quit thinking like you're still in the boat, here's what you'd discover. You're actually already walking on water. You're already in the middle of the paradigm shift, extraordinary church. I don't know if you realized it or not, but the fact you're here right now the fact that God has already done what He's done is sufficient evidence for me that we're already off the boat. We're already walking on the water. So don't you let the enemy lie to you and tell you you're still in the boat. God has come tonight to renew His covenant, to renew His promise, to tell you the prophecy is still true. And all you have to do is submit yourself to the Word.
Come under the word. And you'll find out that the word you come under will also come under you. And it'll carry you. Oh, Peter, I know ain't nobody ever walked on water before. But because you came when I said come, you're getting to do what nobody else does. Come on, would you stand together right now? Would you lift up your hands? Would you lift up your voice? I want us to open up our heart right now. Come on. Come on, would you just open up your heart? Begin to lift up your voice. Let's let this whole sanctuary become a place of prayer right now. God, we give ourselves to you. We withhold nothing from you. All that we are, all that we have, God, it's yours. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. How's it going to be? I'll tell you how. The power of the highest is going to overshadow thee. Oh, come on. There's something beautiful happening here right now. I know the hour's getting late, but if we could just... If we could spare a few minutes, if we could press a little bit, if we could offer God a few more moments and we could just open up our heart and begin to pour out our heart to Him. Yeah, let me tell you something. If you ask my wife, she would tell you I'm still a work in project. Because we came from two very different homes. She came from a very verbally affirming home, and I didn't. It's not saying that it's necessarily bad, it's just different. And so in her house where there would be constant verbal affirmation, in my house there wasn't. And so when we get married, she's coming to me wondering, why aren't you happy? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? I'm like, nothing. She said, well, you didn't say this. Or, like, I didn't know I needed to. See, when you bring two together, there's, there's this meshing together of two different worlds and two different ideas We've got to learn to work together. I'm telling somebody tonight. You've got to learn to work together with God. You, you, you might have come from a culture or a home. You may have had a mother or father. Maybe they, maybe they abused you. Maybe they neglected you. Maybe they loved you, but they just weren't verbally affirming. So you come into the presence of God. It, it's difficult for you getting to that place of intimacy is hard for you because you've never told anybody you love them. How could you tell a God you can't see? You've never, you don't, you don't ever walk through the front door of your house and throw your arms open for
somebody. So how could you do that in church? That's so hard for you. I'm telling you tonight, if you would just lay that down, if you will leave those thoughts in the boat and come out into the water, what you'll discover is this is the safest place to be. There's no judgment here. There's no condemnation here. Nobody's going to cast you out. But you're going to find out that the love of God is the most real, most authentic, most genuine, most powerful, most life-transforming thing. Telling somebody tonight, you have to get vulnerable enough to become intimate with God. To do something so silly as lift up your hands, become emotionally vulnerable where you might cry, you might pray out loud. Because I'm telling you, it's in that infancy, it's in that place that God can create something in you that can come no other way. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.